football. I was a fanatic. There's no doubt a fanatic. My goal was to get carried out of the wrestling room because of exhaustion, and it never happened. The thing it did for me every day about 6 o'clock is that when I got out, I looked back in, and there was nobody else there. Bottom line was I didn't reach my goal. So guess what happened? I went back in the room again. But I got some quality time because of just some kind of a fanatic goal. Welcome back to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life and your host, Ryan Warner. And the mission of this podcast, folks, is we interview former wrestlers to understand how the sport changed their life and also to understand what techniques, what routines, what mindset techniques are they using to get the most out of their life. So not all of the guests will be former elite-level athletes like today's is. Some may be business leaders, some may be CEOs, some may be politicians, but bottom line, all of the guests have had a positive impact from being involved in the sport of wrestling, even if it's just a year in middle school. Now, today's guest, though, is a former elite-level athlete. Nate Gallick was an NCAA champion at Iowa State. He was also a U.S. Open champion shortly thereafter. He's just an all-around bad dude, and we, and we really hope you enjoy this episode. For past episodes, please go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.org, where you can find all of the past episodes and show notes for those episodes. And then also, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a rating if you enjoy it. All right, I've said my piece. That's it. Now, please sit back and enjoy this episode with Nate Gallick. See you again soon. Take care. Rewinding to, you know, going into the NCAA Finals your senior year, you were undefeated. And wrestling a guy who at that point you'd wrestled eight times before in Tianware, and your only loss, you were 7-1 to against him. Your only loss was to him in the NCAA Finals before. Kind of looking back on that, what do you remember of those, of those battles with, with Tian? Man, they, uh, they were look, – looking back, it seemed like it was a lot more fun than, than maybe at the time. Um, you know, they were, tough, they were tough matches, and I'd say very strategic. You know, there was a lot of planning around, you know, how I would wrestle him. You know, he was an ex, you know, a great athlete, you know, very quick great defense. And, and when he needed to attack, he, he did have some strong attacks. So it was important that when I went out there that I had a, a game plan or, a, you know, we, Bobby would call it a match plan. And so, you know, I would have already wrestled four or five matches in my head, um, you know, and maybe previously in the week had someone kind of emulate his style. So that was, that was kind of the, the preparation that would go into mm-hmm. to some of those bigger matches and, and not just for him, but I, I, I took that approach with, you know, really any, any solid opponent that I felt like, um, you know, could potentially be a threat in that way. But, but yeah, they were, they were some, some fun and exciting matches, maybe more so than the score always showed. Uh, I know we had a lot of three, two matches, a couple overtimes and maybe a few that, that ventured outside of the three to two, but um, you know every point that was scored for for either one of us is usually pretty hard fought. And did it did it get in your head a little bit that I and mean, going into the finals your senior year undefeated, last chance to win, um, and you'd wrestled him so many times before. I mean, was that was there something different about that like your mental approach to that match than you take for? Because I know anytime a wrestler 
two wrestlers wrestle each other a bunch of times, it seems like it just kind of can, it can play mind games sometimes. So did that, did that ever affect you? It, it did. I mean, there were matches, um, you know, maybe, maybe that I was a little more nervous than others for. Um, I felt very confident in, I guess I should say my, my defense, you know, I, I felt like, you know, if, if I could get out, you know, one or two offensive attacks and score that I'd be very hard to beat. You know, I didn't think there was anybody in the country and at, you know, at certain parts of my career, I didn't think there was anybody in the world that could, could take me down or score on me. And so having that confidence that, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be taken down. I knew I could get out from the bottom. It was just a matter of finding an opportunity to get an attack off or score. But I'd say that particular match, um, there was no, in my head, there was just no way I was going to lose. Um, you know, and, and I know it ended up being a three, two match and, but you know, I, from a confidence level, I, I felt very confident. And that was probably the last two years of my, my college career that, you know, I, I tried to prepare for each match, each tournament, you know, day in, day out. So that way, when it came time to step on the mat, it wasn't, am I going to win? It was, is the score going to be three to two, 10 to five? It just, you know, how many points am I going to win by? Not necessarily, am I going to win? And so this is something you thought about in and out of the season, obviously. It was a daily thing for you, just constantly obsessing about it and preparing your mind and obviously your body throughout those last two years where there was just, there was no other option for you than to win. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was. And, and one of the things that, you know, I really focused on was, and this is, again, more so the second half of my college career, was in my head, you know, if I was training to make a world team or win a world title or an Olympic team or an Olympic title, then by default, the NCAA title would come. And so when I trained during the, the college season, it I wasn't necessarily training every day to win an NCAA title. You know, I was looking beyond. And so my, my goals were, were always beyond, you know, an All-American or an NCAA champ. And so that helped me kind of get by. And, and I think just generally speaking, from a fundamental standpoint, it, it forced me to be a better, uh, more well-rounded wrestler in college than maybe most of your, you know, typical college athletes. Because you were just training for that world stage versus just the national stage. Is that where you're kind of getting at? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Just, you know, it, I wrestled, I think 11 months out of the year from the time I was a freshman in college and you know, I was at the training center, whether it was junior worlds, university worlds, senior nationals. I mean, they, I wrestled, as many international events as I possibly could and surrounded myself with as many postgraduate successful wrestlers as I could to make sure that, you know, whether I was in college or out of college, that I was ready for that next step. And so from a daily training standpoint, I didn't necessarily set my goal to be an NCAA champ. I set it to be an Olympic champ. And if I fell short, hopefully the NCAA title would fall in my lap. And how Luckily, early I did. back in your finally my senior year? Yeah, I mean, unbelievable run. I remember it um, very vividly. But I mean, it sounds like you were a guy just 
just possessed and not a mission. I mean, how early back into your youth or into your high school days did you know that, all right, my sole focus during my competitive career is to, is to earn a world title? Like, when did that start for you? So, you know, it sounds, sounds funny because it, it was, you know, every, I think every young wrestler or every young wrestler should, um, when they first start, you know, look at it and say, okay, my goal is, you know, you look at what's, what's the best that I can possibly do. And, you know, in our sport, I would think it's to be an Olympic champion. And in, in my mind, even at, at a, as a young athlete, that's what I wanted to do. And maybe at that time it wasn't reality or realistic. It was just kind of a stretch goal. And so in my mind, that was, that was what I was training for. And then along with that, there were milestones, you know, whether it be to win, a, win your first tournament, win your first match, state title, uh, you know, high school national title, et cetera, et cetera. And that was just kind of always where my mindset was. Um, you know, my family is a bit weird and odd. And, uh, thankfully, they, they're like that. But when we, we got into wrestling, I didn't start wrestling until sixth grade. It was my first or second tournament. It was Tulsa Nationals. You know, we, we drove from Arizona wow. to Oklahoma. <laughs> Um, I, you know, so every, everything that my family does, we're, we're either, you're either all in or, or not at all. We had wrestling mats in the living room instead of furniture. And it just, that was, that's, that's how my family is. And my dad, in baseball, we had pitching machines in our garage. So, um, I, I was 0 and 2 at the Tulsa Nationals, my first tournament. I felt, felt kind of bad for my dad. And I think I maybe even mentioned. You know, I apologize. All these other parents were sending in, you know, pit bulls, and he's sending in a poodle. Yeah, that's a brutal tournament for your first tournament. My God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but no, it, it was. And you know, when I look at the reason that I went to Iowa State instead of Arizona State at the time, which were kind of my main two two options, when Bobby Douglas came to Arizona and sat in my my living room. He sold me on, you know, it was an eight-year plan. You know, he said, I'm, I'm not looking to have you come in and go to school for four or five years and be a national champ. He said, my goal, if, if this is what you want, is my goal is to get you through two Olympic cycles. You know, and if this is your goal, everything else in between are mile markers. So that's kind of where a lot of that started. And, you know, it impressed me that, that he recognized more than just college and he was willing to be there before during and after for, for my dreams and everything that I wanted so that was I guess the start of it but he, he's a huge part of, of uh, the, the mental focus and preparation for what I did day to day yeah that guy's I mean obviously a legend a two-time Olympian um, multiple-time world medalist uh, won the first national title uh, I think ever for a team, um, or maybe not ever, but one of the first times a team outside of the state of Iowa, Oklahoma had won the nationals when he won at Arizona state in 88. So um, he had a yeah. lot of, uh, a lot of street cred in Arizona. I'm sure that's a guy who had a huge impact in your life. I mean, what did you learn most from him? I mean, what, I mean, maybe just talk about the, the impact he's had, your, had on your life. So it's, you know, it's funny. He's, I, I probably outside of my dad, um, you know, he's probably 
you know, the second most impactful person in, in my life and, and someone that I really, really respect. And not just as a wrestling coach, because I, I think a lot of coaches, they care about the athletes and they do what they can to support them. But I always felt like Coach Douglas or Bobby had, uh, he, he truly cared. I guess to, to sum it up, it, two quick stories. He, uh, he would beat us up in the room. I mean, verbally, you know, sometimes he would, you'd get to the point where you feel like you just broke mentally. You'd want to walk out of the room. You think your coach hates you. He thinks you're a, you know, a grade school wrestler. And he'd call you that night and he'd say, you know, Hey, you know, he, you know, you're doing great. And you know, here's, here's what I think. He'd kind of build you back up you know, he'd tell you what you wanted to hear. So you could come in the next day and, and, and get back at it. So that was just something, you know, he, he knew when to, when to push you, when to break you, and he knew how to build you back up, which, which a lot of coaches um, struggle with that. I think just knowing the balance and pushing you far, but maybe not too far, and then being able to pull you back to life. Um, the other thing is when I lost at the NCAAs my junior year, you know, I remember going to the locker room and I truly felt, you know, the, the pain that I felt, he felt. You know, he wasn't upset that I lost. He didn't care. It wasn't about him. He was heartbroken for, for me because he knew how hard we had trained together to achieve that. And you know, just small little things like that, it just uh, it makes a difference from an athlete and, and now a great friend. I still try yeah. to keep in touch with him as much as possible. I mean, the guy's, a, I mean, obviously a legend in the sport. Um, do you remember any uh, any stories in particular where you had a had a tough practice and maybe even broke? Um, do you remember anything any uh, specific stories about that? Yeah. So, <laughs> so was, I think this, I'm trying to remember if this was my I must it was my sophomore and uh, I lost. We had a, a home opener, and typically, you know, when when you're Iowa State and you have Mankato State in Boston as a you know multi-duel <laughs> th- those are th- th- those are like you're you know we're just warming up into the season matches yeah well I went 0-2 um on those on those duels and I no. remember you know, one <laughs> lost a match uh I can't even recall their names but uh one was like stalling call at the end and, and the other one I think I got cement mixer right you know in the end of the third period it was just they were just terrible losses um for me to experience especially that early on and i think for about two days straight and it might even have been like the next day on a sunday where i don't think i could get two feet in the practice room without him just gnawing on me you know and then he would (laughs) grab me and you know he he's uh whether it's like arm drags or wrist control or whatever it was, but just nonstop. Like, yeah, you'd be sitting in the corner, just, you know, MFing and thinking, you know, gosh, yeah. this guy is, you know, what does he know? You know, but, uh, but no, he, he just beat me up for about a week straight. And shortly after that, uh, maybe a month after, I think, or I would do my first, one of my first big wins or maybe the turning point of my college career was the dual meet against Iowa where we actually beat Iowa for the first time in 20 years or however many years I had wow. wrestled Cliff Moore. Um, I think I yep. might've been ranked 
20th or maybe not even ranked at all. Cliff Moore, I think, was maybe ranked third or fourth uh, for the year. And that's, that's why I'd beaten him. And then after that, I, I think kind of snowball effect started taking place throughout the year. Shortly after that, I'd you know, beaten Tion, uh, who was the returning national champ, and revenged a, a previous loss with, with Dylan Long at the time, who was the returning runner-up. And so that was kind of the start. The start of everything, but a lot of that did it stemmed from that extreme pressure that he had put put me through for about a good two weeks after those losses. I mean, that's an incredible story because when you were at Sunnyside High School in Arizona, multiple time state champ, um, had success on the national level. But then, to your point, you came in and, and took some you took some lumps. I think you went like 500 your freshman year. We're up at 149 at one point. Um, but then wrestled freestyle that summer at, you know, somewhere in the 132, 133 range, had success in freestyle. But, yeah, I mean, like, I can only just imagine how tough that must have been to, uh, to know how, how good you were and how much success you'd had, but just wasn't clicking in college right away. Yeah, so that, that freshman year, man, I really, that, that, that made me question whether or not I was as good as I thought I was. Um, so I did sit behind, so Aaron Holker, which was the returning national champ at 141, was cutting a lot of weight to make 41. You know, the, the idea was he would go up to 49, I would wrestle 41. Well, he thought otherwise, uh, beat me out in the wrestle off, so I was forced to wrestle 49. Coaches thought at some point during the season that he would decide to bump up just from not wanting to cut weight. So I was weighing in at 141. He would come in on a Monday and he would be, you know, probably just shy of 160 pounds. And in the off season, yeah, he would probably get maybe north of that. But he was, he was definitely a big 41 pounder. Um, at you know, at the time, maybe wasn't the most disciplined either. So his weight yeah. would balloon back and forth. Um, so they thought, so yeah, he might, it, it was, they thought was, he might go up to 49, and then you might go down to 41. But but what happened? So he, he didn't. He kept, he kept making the weight um, at 41. I was weighing in at 41 and wrestling 49 just so oh I could God. keep certification. And so that was, it, was a, it was a struggle. And I was pretty small. I mean, I was recruited into college as a 25-pounder. Um, you know, most of the years that I wrestled 41, I barely weighed 46 on a Monday, 47 maybe. So I didn't cut a lot of weight through college. That's how I was able to wrestle 132 or 60 kilograms in the off season. So 149 mm -hmm. was definitely, you know, I was, I was getting all that I could handle, you know, from, uh, from an overall strength and maturity level as a freshman. And I think probably, I, I'm trying to remember that the worst beating that I had that year had to have been Jared Lawrence. And I can't Ooh. remember if it was a, a tech fall or, Maybe I hung on to the buzzer, but man, he just, he got on top of me and I think he turned me like I'd never been turned. So you're having obviously a tough go at it in the matches, but then in the room, Zach Roberson was the national champ at 133. Holker was at 141. I mean, so were you like hanging with these guys at least, or was it just equally as tough in the room every day? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I was, holding my own in the room and, and, you know, Zach and I were probably, he's probably the best training partner that I had at Iowa state through the years and even after. Um, so it was, I mean, it was great training. Now I'd say in the room, if we were on our feet, you know, Aaron Holker and I would, would, would be fine. I would hold my own. 
he's probably one of the best mat wrestlers that I've ever wrestled. If he, if he got on top of me or anyone in the room, it was probably, you know, upwards of 30 minutes of just getting cranked on and, you know, having the legs thrown in on you. So he, uh, he definitely helped my mat skills. You, you had to get better. Otherwise it was just going to be painful and, and long. But, but no, the training situation that I had and looking back on it, because Cody Sanderson was still there um, at that time. And we had Dwight Henson was, was just coming off of his competition years, maybe the tail end. Um, mm -hmm. Zach Roberson, Matt Azevedo, when I was a freshman was there. I think he had just left maybe that year. But we had a ton of really good lightweights in the room. I mean, Ty Malia, Grant Nakamura, I don't know if you remember, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so from a lightweight standpoint, we had great training partners. Uh, Harry Lester probably would have just taken off and went to Michigan to, to train Greco full-time, but, but we definitely didn't have a short, any shortage of, of good partners in the room, and depending on the day, you, know, you either took some lumps or you gave a few, but it was just a great training situation. And what were those practices like? Was it mostly live and just a grind, or more technical. I mean, give us some insight into the to the cycle and room in the mid two thousands. Yeah, so so Bobby did a really good job of I would say kind of organizing the season, and we did you know we did we definitely didn't just wrestle live or, or go through you know grind. We didn't do maybe a ton of grind matches, if you will, but practices were definitely long. Um, you know, he is infamous for all right, last thing, last drill, one more thing. You know, pretty soon, <laughs> an hour later. And yeah, so from a technical standpoint, I mean, we did a lot of technique, a lot of drilling. We didn't necessarily stop the practice and circle up to watch technique. It would, it would kind of just flow, you know, all right, look, break, look in, um, boom, boom, boom. And you kind of either kept up or you didn't. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, wasn't that he wouldn't, wouldn't help or show technique or break it down. It's just, you know, you, you kind of had to keep up. And so being young, you know, it, it was important to pay attention during the room. And then if you needed extra that you, you were vocal about it, you know, Hey coach, would you mind coming in and doing a morning drill or running through a couple items? But from a fundamental standpoint, I mean, we drilled fundamentals over and over and over again. And some of these things, when I do wrestling clinics, you know, we, we go through these fundamentals and some of the little kids are like, why are we doing this? And I'm like, trust me, I asked the same thing and I was in college. Right. But, but, it, right. but it, but it works. And, and if, you know, if, if you can master the fundamentals of, of anything, the, the other technique comes and I'm not to call it junk technique, but I mean, if you watch, you know, just recently watch the world and, right. You know, it, you get one or two good scoring opportunities in most in most matches, um, but what are they scoring on? Doubles, singles, hard snaps. You know, controlling the mat, really good head position. A lot of high crotches. Yeah, basic yep. stuff. Though, you know, right. Yeah. So that was. And so uh, was Kale around during? Was Kale around during these times? Because he had won in '04 and you won your nationals in '06. So I'm guessing there's probably some overlap. Um, what was, was that experience? Was he there at all? Or was he at Colorado Springs at this time? 
No, Kale was. He, I mean, he, he would, he would train in Colorado Springs or travel, you know, just, just like most of the guys that are on the circuit now throughout the season. But, uh, Kale was there up until, I mean, I guess it would have been maybe right before I left Chattanooga when he took over after Bobby. But Kale, um, Kale was in the room and I think just being able to see him train and man, did he work hard. Um, you know, he'd be in there, whether it be during our practice or shortly before. He did. He did train a lot. He trained hard and set a good example for for those around him. Well, and he's obviously a guy where unbe- an unbelievable wrestler, but probably even a better coach. You know what he's doing at Penn State, um, and he reminds me of Belichick. He's very tight-lipped. You don't really get to understand what's going on in there, which. It's a shame because the Penn State guys just perform at such a high level, um, and they're so loose all the time. It, you'd love to understand what type of mental coaching or mental uh, skills they're working on. But you know, what do you think? Um, what do you think separates him as a coach just from when you were working with him? I, I think he under, I mean, I think he understands uh, maybe from an individual basis. Like he. he he, just, he understands the sport, and, and I think he he has a system that he that he works, I guess, works within, and he doesn't really deviate a whole lot from that. You know, he, he surrounds himself with great assistants. You know, Casey, Cody, um, which I would argue to say they're probably two of the best in in the country. You know, Definitely. easily be head coaches somewhere else, and. You know, just just between between them as a group, it it's hard not to connect with you know with an athlete one way or the other. Um, you know, I know just from an expectation standpoint, you know, he definitely he definitely expects a lot. And, and I guess you know, one I guess I'll give you a quick story on on this, but you know, I remember I was a senior, and and of course I I thought I knew it all. Um, undefeated and getting close to the NCAAs and I don't remember if Bobby said you know run 10 sprints after practice or whatever it was well Kale must have been paying attention and I'm sure I maybe only ran seven but I remember him following me to the locker room and you know he just said hey Keon just gained four seconds of riding time on you and that was it and he walked out and left. He just, he just left, he just left it up to me to, to interpret that, you know, how I wanted him. You know, like I remember just kind of thinking, like, hmm. you know, like, and it kind of, it, you know, as an athlete, you know, especially you're, you're a senior, maybe thinking you off. better than you are. And yeah, but it, exactly. And, and it, it's, you know, those, those are the things, you know, he didn't, he didn't stand there and grab you and force you to go do the extra two sprints. He just, he told you and he let you kind of mull on it. You know, and he gave you the opportunity to find your own answer. And so those, I think those are the things. And that was even as a young age, he was just an assistant. And I think as, as you develop, uh, especially if you're willing to be patient and lead your athletes to the answer instead of, you know, doing it for them or forcing them to do something that's not their idea. And I, I think that from an outsider looking in now, you know, that may be something that, that he's he's had success with, with, and you can tell the athletes at Penn State are, they're having fun, but the athletes that they recruit love the sport. And those are the things that you can't teach. 
you know, if you love the sport and you're living a lifestyle that's conducive to having success, it's a heck of a lot easier to have fun and to find success. Where, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, recruiting the highest caliber of the highest caliber. Um, but but a lot of programs get good high school kids. Um, you know, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Iowa, uh, Iowa State, obviously on the rise, but. And traditional programs are getting good kids, but it just seems like that notion of burnout or the grind, you know, maybe they don't feel it there and maybe they do, but we just don't see it. You know, that's why I wish we could have more of a, an inside view into that. But, um, but, that, but that, going back to your story, though, I mean, he knew you didn't do the 10 sprints. Uh, he could have yelled at you and, and got in your face, but he didn't even say, I didn't even know. He didn't say, I did. I know you didn't do those sprints. He just said, Hey man, <laughs> your competition's gaining on you. So, those little mind tricks like that, that's fascinating. He does that. Um, any other uh, Kale stories that come to mind just before we move into some more rapid-fire questions here? Other than, other than maybe just, just, you know, I'd say he's a – I don't know if he still is, but he, he used to be pretty darn good at video games. <laughs> um, that's oh, – oh. Yeah. He, he, uh, he, he, his whole family, they're, they're phenomenal – phenomenal family um you know tyler cody the whole, the whole group of them uh, and there's i don't i don't know many people that would be able to say a bad thing about them so it's they got a great thing going in, in penn state and definitely the rest of us have to, the rest of us have to figure out how to how to catch up and compete well and even with the nittany line wrestling club uh, the endowment they have and, and the fact that those guys can make you know, 50, 60 grand a year in training is, is awesome. Um, so it's just good for the sport. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of how those guys wrestle. Um, like a null for a, or a bow nickel, just wide open the whole time. Awesome to watch. It's good. And it's exciting too. Super exciting. It, it is. And, and, and I think in kind of going back, you know, to what you had mentioned about recruiting and getting the top talent. And I think there's, from a recruiting standpoint, there's a difference between, you know, a talented wrestler that had success in high school versus, you know, a wrestler that truly loves the sport. And even a lesser athlete coming out of high school that loves the sport, that's, that has the ability to be self-motivated, you know, and, and I, I go back to, is it Yanni from Cornell mm-hmm. had mentioned something, you know, when he was interviewed, just in regards to, you know, just loving the sport, being, you know, a student of the sport, watching videos, not just recent videos, but videos from the 90s, early 2000s, and taking little bits and pieces of technique from, from various athletes. You know, when you can't, as a coach, you can't tell someone to do that. They either do it and enjoy it and like it, or they don't, you know, and you can tell that he loves the sport. He's just naturally a student of the sport. He will continue to get better in his trajectory is going to be a lot more steep than someone who had success in high school, maybe because their high school coach or parents pushed them. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was good because of what other people helped him do, but not necessarily like, you know, what did you do when someone wasn't looking? How disciplined were you? You know, did you have these goals or were these goals that were set for you? And I think that's kind of the biggest difference. And I feel like a lot of the recruits and athletes that I see at Penn State they're they're good they've had success but they're also they love it you know i don't think anybody's forcing them to do it and they're finding ways to get better and 
once you get one or two of those athletes, then everybody starts to rub off on each other. So I, I think that's kind of the, the hardest thing to find and recruit. Mm-hmm. But once you have it, man, it's it's like a snowball. Yeah, huge fan of Yanni D. Um, I think he'll be challenging for an Olympic team spot in 2020. Um, I really love watching that kid wrestle. Um, but hey, as we wind this down, I'd love to kind of hit on something you were just kind of segueing to, and that's, you know, loving the sport. If you had to summarize why you love wrestling so much or what drove you through all those tough times, you know, what, what is it about the sport that just pulled you in and, and you really hooked you? So, I mean, early on, um, I, I loved it just because of the, you know, because of the fight and, you know, I happened to be mildly athletic, you know, from a God-given standpoint. And so I had success early on and, you know, if you have success, you start to like something. But, you know, when I look back and think about where I'm at now in my professional career and the reason that I'm where I'm at, you know, wrestling offers, you know, discipline, accountability. You have to be extremely resilient. You build confidence and then more more than anything, you you learn how to cope with failure. And I think that's something that, you know, maybe people that don't wrestle or aren't in an individual sport where you truly get taken down and beat uh, with no one else to blame, you know, you have to learn how to cope with that and bounce back. And I think that, you know, whether you're an Olympic athlete or whether you're just a wrestler in elementary or middle school, if you can learn to be disciplined, to set goals, small goals or large goals, and achieve them, you're already ahead of maybe from the general population of the, of the world. Um, and to be able to take a failure, train hard, come back, and have success, you know, those are things that, that are going to stick with you for life. And, and that's kind of where I'm at right now in my current job. And we, we recruit and we headhunt a lot of athletes and wrestlers specifically because of that. You know, it's a heck of a lot easier mm-hmm. to train someone to do a job and set goals for them if they've had a lifetime of achieving goals already and holding themselves accountable to hit, hit and meet those goals. I think to your point, though, as much as anything, it's and why I love the sport so much and why a lot of you know, business people who used to wrestle are, are successful is that it teaches you to deal with failure. And one thing you said Back in 2008, you know, after uh, you, you went, the U.S. had not qualified to wait for the Olympics. Zadek went to the first three qualifiers. He went to the fourth in Poland. And um, ultimately, we didn't get the job done. But I, you said something that really stuck out to me and still sticks in my head is that you kind of reevaluated what's really important in life. Right. Could, could you maybe talk about that experience just real quick here? Because that really dovetails with what you were talking about in terms of failure and, and dealing with that. Yeah, I mean, it was. You know, to me, that was, you know, 2008. I wasn't, I, at that time, I wasn't sure how long I was going to compete for and, you know, if I was going to move into coaching and move out of the real world. And, um, you know, when you train your whole life for an you know, opportunity to go to the Olympics and, you know, the, not even just for yourself, but now all of a sudden you have the pressure of the entire country. You're trying to qualify the weight. It's the last qualifier. And, and then you fall short, you know, and, and you fall short, maybe even to a lesser opponent was the worst part. Um, it was tough. That was probably one of the toughest 
losses that uh, that I've ever experienced just to cope with mentally. You know, I, you know, when I got back from that trip, it was, I mean, I had to, I had to dig deep to figure out, okay, I'm going to continue to wrestle and I'm still going to go to the trials. I'm still going to train through it. Um, you know, and I made a decision that I was going to continue to compete. You know, I came to the conclusion that I wouldn't, wouldn't let it stop there. And at that time I was going to wrestle through 2012, um, just with some injuries that, that happened late that, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it was, it was, it was really, really tough and self-reflection and finding a way to jump back on the horse. I mean, it was part of it, but it's, you know, the sport definitely can be, can be cruel. Yeah, especially when there's external pressure, uh, and 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 even as a youth, you feel that external pressure. Uh, or in college, you know, because of team scores and team titles, or impressing your family, and the better you are as an athlete, the expectation or the pressure you put on yourself, like, oh, people think I'm good, so I I can't go out and lose, because then what are they going to think of me? You know, pretty soon you're not wrestling for your goals or for yourself. You're wrestling just to accommodate people's perception of who you are and so those are things that i think every successful wrestler probably goes through and the really successful ones can block that out and just focus on why they're wrestling and that's kind of where i had to where i had to go and where i had to get after that loss and after 2008 was okay if i'm going to continue wrestling i'm going to do it for me and you know if i fall short and the u.s didn't qualify the, you know, for the olympics that's unfortunate, but the biggest part of it is I didn't qualify for the Olympics, and that's what I'm training. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think it just that as that really the last piece of this before we shut this this conversation down is you know the notion of having like an external score scorecard versus an internal scorecard. You know, like the inter- external scorecard might be, hey, I want to win, um, I want to win this tournament, or I want to live up to these expectations. But the reality is that if you're being the best version of yourself, like each six minute go or each practice or each day, um, and really getting the most out of your life, that's really all that should matter. And so it sounds like that was kind of the moment or an awakening you had um, flying back from Poland and probably those lonely days after where, you know, you, you were just kind of soul searching a little bit. No, that, and, and that's, I mean, you're, you're spot on with that. It's, you know, and I think whether it's wrestling or something, you know, somewhere else in life, I and mean, everyone kind of probably runs across a moment like that. And you know, for me, that was that was definitely one of them in, in regards to where I was going to be headed in, in the future of the sport and how I would evaluate myself. But yep. Well, hey Nate, yeah. real quick, three okay. rapid fire questions here. We'll keep them we'll keep them quick, um, but just three rapid fire questions, and we will uh, we'll sign off. Sound good? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, favorite post weigh-in food? Olive Garden, hands down. <laughs> the breadsticks and the soup. I love it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Toughest match you've ever had in your life? Whew. Um, and th- this is going to be, be a surprise. Uh, Michael Keefe from UTC. And I did win. But he kept coming, and I think I walked off the mat more tired than I'd ever been in my entire life. I didn't know that one. Yeah, I, I, 
I uh, I kind of thought maybe it'd be like Zadok at the U.S. Open or, or some of the word battles, but okay. Um, yeah. Fair enough, though. Um, okay, two more. Best memory of the sport. Best moment. So, for yeah, for me, I would say um, – The U.S. National Championship when I won, um, for me, that was probably maybe the biggest or best, you know, accomplishment. I was extremely excited at that time knowing that I would sit out and have a better opportunity to make the world team. I think that was in 07. 2007. Sure. Yeah. 2007. And, yeah. yep. And so I think just, just the win, obviously, I beat Zadok in the finals there. Um you know, I had some other tough opponents kind of leading up to that. But outside of that, I mean, you know, winning the NCAA title just because of how, how many years you know, it took me in college to, to get that one, uh, that's probably a close second. And for people who haven't watched that match, I, I rewatched it yesterday. The end of the match scramble with you and Zabik is epic. He snaps you down. Looks like he's going to score. He gets it on a shot. You crotch lift him, and it was it was insane. Um, really great end of the match scramble. It was it was fun to watch. Yeah, no, that was exciting, and I, you know, I, I probably look back and I'm like, man, I, I probably should have, you know, had a had more personality, or you know, maybe maybe had a little more excitement and done things, you know, back in the day, entertainment, you know, scored more points when I could, <laughs> and, you know, focus on maybe the, the fans and. Um, but but I definitely uh, out of out of probably I probably had more emotion in that match than I did in a lot of other ones. But but it's uh, that was that was an exciting win. Definitely. All right. Last question is in one sentence. If someone asks you why should their son wrestle, what would you say? It, it may be cliche, but I think wrestling. You know it it, it can it can teach you how to be a better person. And I think it's, it's, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, because I have a daughter now and, and I'm excited mm-hmm. to, to wrestle with yeah, son or daughter. Yeah. Um, but it, it truly, it, it's, I think um, wrestling teaches you to be the best person individually that you can be. I love it. And I, I, I totally agree. Um, well, that, this is awesome. Nate, thank you so much for joining the podcast, man. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. We could talk, obviously, for hours about this stuff. But um, thanks again for joining, man. Really appreciate it. That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.